Welcome into the Email Online Podcast. Mason Voth, Alec Bussey, Gabe Schwartz here with you from Email Online and Rivals. Go get signed up if you're not, uh, because I mean, I don't know. Like I, I enjoy getting paid. I don't know about the two of you. So go get signed up, do that. And uh, what's Great in it for you there. if you sign up is you get a ton of great content from K-State's senior night win over Oklahoma. They beat the Sooners 85-69. to So you can read the fast break, my instant thoughts after the game, get player grades from Alec. You can read why Gabe says that K-State is a national title contender this year. And Alec also wrote about the role players stepping up and pulling their weight for K-State, which has really been the, the big part about this four-game winning streak for K-State. Even though Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson have had some better moments than what they had during that rough stretch, this has really been more about other guys stepping up and and contributing for K-State to get back on track. And uh, I think they've found ways to become more consistent. One other piece up there today, uh, March 1st came and went yesterday. Recruiting for football is back on. And uh, K-State hosted uh, the top in-state prospect for 2024 yesterday. And uh, I, I go through a breakdown since Rivals released their top five players in the state uh, earlier this week on what I think K-State's chances are to land each player. The Wildcats already have a commitment from one of them. We know how dominant they were in the state last year, getting six of the top 12, uh, including Avery Johnson, who was kind of the crown jewel of the class. So we'll see where their odds stack this year. So a lot of stuff to go get read up on there. Uh, and that's why you should get signed up for email online today over at kansasstate.rivals.com. I don't want to. I don't want to give anything away. But if like you're thinking, hey, I do want to sign up, you should maybe wait. Like uh, you could do it now, but like maybe wait a little bit of time. I think something might be in the works to to hook some people up. So uh, just be on the lookout for that. But we're we're going to be talking basketball today. A lot to uh, get to with K State's win last night. Um, not only does Gabe write about K State winning a national title, he's he's maybe betting on them to go to the final four. He's been plugged into that. Uh, so that might be something that folks are interested in. But I'll start with Alec. What was your uh, takeaway, not from the entire game, but give me give me a couple words to describe the first 15 minutes of basketball we saw last night. Can I curse? Uh, I mean, I don't know. How how dangerous is it going to be? This is a family show. Um, A cluster. F- oh, wow. Would- yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, you can't curse like that on here. Uh, but I think people. And that's not the, the real F word in 2023. But, you know, yeah, I didn't think it was a very pretty start to the game. I mean, it was really ugly. Um, Desi Sills gets the first five points for Kansas State and three of them come at the free throw line. Uh, I think that's a pretty good summation of how the game started, though. Desi ended up having, I think, the best game of any Wildcat last night. So the first 10, 15 minutes of the game were absolutely brutal. It felt like each team couldn't hit a shot to save their lives. And I felt like Kansas State also just kind of came out flat, kind of like how we saw them play in the second half against the same Oklahoma team a couple weeks back. Uh, But then they were able to kind of jumpstart it. And I thought Keontae Johnson's dunk when he drove right and then kind of hung on the rim a little bit and waved to the crowd with his right hand was, or left hand, I guess it was, um, was kind of a good like jumpstart to the team. And then Keontae got a three later that gave him the lead at 18, 17, even though it was short lived, you could feel Kansas state kind of getting the momentum. And Gabe kind of turned to me and said at one point there in the first half, you can't say it's going to blow this team out because Oklahoma was playing like crap and the crowd's going to get into it. Once K-State goes on the run and, Gabe nailed it like he normally does. Yeah. Uh, K-State last night, this is kind of wild the way that things end up working out, but K-State started one of 11 from the field, and at one point they were four of 20, 
um, with about seven and a half minutes to play in the first half. But then at that point, they went on to make five straight baskets and they were able to finish the first half um, 13 of 33. And then after shooting 39% in the first half, they shoot over 70% in the second half. They really couldn't do any wrong. Like that middle stretch of the game where they built the lead, everything was working. The momentum was at a high level. And Oklahoma, I mean, to their credit, did enough to – when K-State gave them looks, they hit the shots to, to kind of make it like a 15- or 12-point game where you would look up and go, feels like K-State's winning by 30, but, you know, Oklahoma, I guess, still technically is in this game. Uh, but the Wildcats showed, uh, I, you know, I, I like when a team – I mean, I would prefer that they don't do this, but I like that a team can come out and look like they're about to have the ugliest game of their season and then turn it on and make something beautiful out of it. K-State did that last night, and that's a lot of credit to everybody that ended up stepping up. Uh, Gabe, I'll, I'll offer to you then. You can tell us what you thought of the the rest of the game after the first 15 minutes that were a cluster something, uh, according to Alec. It was I, – I turned to you, Mason, and I said, like, when NBA people are like, man, college basketball is just kids throwing up bricks. Like that's the kind of game that they like NBA people, the NBA truthers out there are like, that is every college basketball game. And obviously it's not, but the first 15 minutes of basketball on last night was about as bad as we've seen from a, from a vantage point of aesthetically pleasing basketball since probably the Wichita state game. Um, If you're talking about both teams, but I thought, I thought that it was weird given that K-State was two for 12 on layups, their first 12 layups of the game, like most of the time you see teams and it's just clank after clank from the three-point land. And then it's like, okay, we get a paint touch. We get a layup. We get a dunk. And then it gets – and it like expands the hoop from distance. Well, last night it was the complete opposite because I think it was – I forget what the score was, but Keontae hit a three-pointer from the corner to give K-State the lead. And then Desi hits him with the behind the back pass in transition right into the shooting pocket, like flashy, but absolutely perfect pass by Desi. Keontae hits another three. And then from there on, it was like, oh yeah, we can hit layups too. And we can dunk the ball too. And it was just time after time after time where they were getting paint touches and easy buckets and it looked effortless. And, and I think that the, the, the thing that Tang pointed out in the post game about, Hey, the uh, half court offense isn't necessarily where we always want it to be. I think that there's a little bit of truth to that. And last night was pretty indicative that this team is at its best when they get a stop and then grab the ball and go in transition when you, and, and this is why, as you start thinking about teams who could beat them in March or who you would want to avoid in March, And that's where we're at with this team because they have, as I wrote about last night, national title slash Final Four. Final Four is more realistic, yes. Uh, But they they are a team that has the pieces to win a national title. And I think Jerome Tang would say that as a guy who has won one with Baylor. Um, And what we've seen is that's the recipe because if you take the ball down and you slow it down against K-State – you score late in the shot clock and you make them take it out of the basket and then you make Marquise Noel walk the ball up the court, it's a lot harder for them to go on those runs where they just get things rolling. Um, But that's what was happening last night. And I thought a lot of it had to do with the defense that Desi Sills played, the rebounding that Desi Sills did. Like 
it seems like on a night-to-night basis, it's like a different K-State guard grabs eight rebounds and leads the team in rebounding. And it's kind of – I've never seen a team that's so reliant on guards and wings rebounding, but that's what this K-State team does. Yeah, I mean, K-State was, was really good last night uh, in the, the rebounding category. They out-rebounded OU 37-26. to 26. Um, At one point, the margin was a little bit bigger than that, and guys were going up, making sure they came down with it. Oklahoma only ends up with seven second chance points. K-State only had nine themselves, but ultimately they ended up finishing the game shooting uh, 47% or excuse me, 53%. So there's not a ton of room for like second chance points. But I think some of these categories where um, you can see how uh, K-State was able to hold Oklahoma down, I I think is significant where, you know, they were able to win points off of turnovers. K-State was, they were able to still win second chance points and, and a lot of the stuff that they got smashed in earlier in the year when they had problems, points in the paint was another one they were dominant in last night. They were able to kind of figure it out and, and get through it. And, you know, I think Noel and Sills, like the way that they're passing the ball right now um, puts K-State in a really good spot. And, I, you know, with Noel, I, I think it's best when Marquise is in a situation where he can't really think about what's going to happen next. Like he just kind of has to go. So when they're on the break, like, it's just this innate feeling that he has like, okay, I need to make this pass or I need to go to the basket or I need to do this. I think when they get in the half court offense, because he was you know, able to knock down so many of those big threes earlier in the year, I think he starts to overthink, okay, you know, we saw a really bad lob against Oklahoma State. Do I need to throw the lob here? Okay, do I shoot it? Do I not shoot it? I probably shouldn't because it's a bad shot, but oh, I had a, a window. Uh, those are all things we actually saw in the game against Oklahoma State. Like, he had one straight away. It was pretty deep, but for Noel, he shoots those, and he he froze. He didn't take it when he initially needed to, and then when he decided, oh, I should take this shot, he just didn't have any strength in, a, in his body to do it. So I think, you know, K-State's going to have to find a way to guarantee or at least come close to guaranteeing that they can get out and run in some of these games because, like last night, starting as cold as they were uh, from the floor, especially around the basket, um, because some of them were tough looks, but others, like, uh, Ish Masood had some down there. Gasson, Tomlin, Sills, all, all of them had parts where I thought, I don't know how they didn't make that or convert there. Um, they're going to have to find a way to, to make sure that they can can kind of keep this energy leveled up. But I think we've seen over the last four games, um, and this goes to what Alec wrote about with you know some of the depth pieces starting to, to elevate their play. They're just finding ways to be more consistent where we're not going to get like Desi Sills 15, 9, and 8 every single game. But what he did last night is indicative of how he has continued to find ways to evolve and put himself in a position to provide a little bit more on a consistent basis for K-State. Or Cam Carter now. I think uh, one of you guys said last night, this is the first time all year that Cam Carter scored at least seven points in in three straight games. Um, So, like, that's the kind of thing that K-State needs. Because with Noel and Johnson and then Tomlin, the way that he can play at times – you don't need a ton from Cam Carter or Ish Masood or whoever, but when their moment is there, they absolutely have to capitalize on it. And that's what they did well at the beginning of the year where Carter had a good game against Texas. Masood hit only three threes against Baylor, but they were all big ones and they meant something. The stretch that K-State went on, Noel and Johnson had to try to do even more than what they were doing originally. And nobody else was really stepping up and, I don't know what it is that they've they've figured out or if it's just experience of playing together now uh, for a longer period of time. 
But I, I do think the depth has just found a way to be more consistent for K-State, and, and that's why they're in this position again where they're winning games and getting hot at the right time. Well, and when those guys contribute, I think it becomes really difficult to not really buy stock in what this team shows on the court. Um, think about think about the way they played against Baylor two weeks ago in the second half, particularly on the defensive end. Think about the way they played against Oklahoma yesterday in the second half um, and the production they got from Desi Sills, who goes for 15, 9, and 8, like nearly flirts with a triple-double. Cam Carter, like you said, Mason, gets seven points. He's got seven points in at least three straight games now. Um, and then Naquan, I would argue, probably had his best game of the year, going for 19 points, grabs five rebounds, um, hits two threes. It's the first time he's had more than one three in a game this year, dating back to the Nebraska contest. Um, and it's the most points he scored against the teams and scoring 26 against Radford. Um, so, you know, all those things considered, when those ancillary players give Kansas State production, I think it becomes really, really difficult for opponents to scout them and to slow them down because they have such a good one-two punch um, in transition, like you guys have both talked about, but then also in the half court, like those are two guys that can go get a go get you one, go get you a bucket whenever you need one. Uh, now the biggest question is just going to be like, are they going to be able to continue to rely on Desi Sills to continue to give them that production? Is Kim Carter going to find some steadiness? That's something that we know he's he's really struggled with this year. I mean, we've seen him go back to back games um, at Texas Tech and at Oklahoma where he didn't score at all. Um, and Nacon, we've obviously seen him struggle a lot with foul trouble, whether that's playing less than 15 minutes to 20 minutes a game because of foul trouble, like he did at Oklahoma State, um, or other nights where he may pick up two, three fouls in the first half to force him to the bench for long stretches there as well. Um, they need some of those other players to give them quality minutes and to be productive when they're on the court, because when they are, it becomes really, really hard to stop them on offense. And it's an offensive team that, isn't super efficient if you look at where they're at um, by metrics. Like they're in the 50s by adjusted offensive efficiency by Bart Torbrick. I think Ken Palm has them in a similar spot. You know, they're not great offensively, but their defense is starting to become really, really good. It's flirting with top 10 in the country. But we know they're great in transition, but are they going to be good enough in the half court come the NCAA tournament when those games kind of tend to slow down a little bit and those teams tend to force you into a half court game more because there's not as many turnovers? Teams are better at rebounding because when you play higher quality teams, right? Like they don't make those mistakes that allow you to get in transition as much. Um, so all those things considered, they need Naquan Tomlin. They need Kim Carter. They need Desi Sills, um, potentially Anish Masood or David Gasson to give them quality minutes. And I would even add like Gasson, I didn't think was phenomenal last night. He has nine points, goes four or five from the field. Um, again, struggles at the free throw line, just one of four. But most of his buckets were really um, coming out of the pick and roll, coming on the break. He needs to be better, I think, of about being able to post up or being able to kind of make his own shot a little bit. That's something that we can see Naquan do a little bit. And I don't think Gasan is as far along skill-wise as Naquan is at this point. But when Gasan gets an open look at the rim, like he's starting to cash in on those like he did last night. But when you get ancillary production from role players, this team turns into a really, really, really good basketball team. Talking about, uh, you know, we, we mentioned K-State playing fast and all these guys doing different things. And obviously, like Sills and Noel are kind of the catalyst of that with their passing and their ability to finish when they get there. And like Desi Sills is very, very quick with the basketball in his hand. Um, and then having guys like Tomlin that have started to step up and finish. Gasson struggled early, but then he was able to put some away in the second half. And we obviously knew Johnson can do it. Um, and K-State needed to get out and play with that pace. They're, they're number one in the Big 12 for average time of possession. 
uh, right right now, um, given that their their average possession length is 16.2 seconds. That's the that's the quickest in the Big 12, which is a good sign for them and is a very you know strong positive. Uh, if you expand that out to where they are nationally, they're 52nd in the country um, in in their terms of how quick they're playing. And I, you know I think that's why it's going to be interesting given who they play matchup wise to see where they stack up defensively and also what pace they play at as a team. Because if you find another team that is like along the same level or inferior to K-State that plays at a similar pace, then like that's a really good matchup for K-State to get into. Because then you have a team that wants to play the style you want to play and you're better at playing it than them. So I I think it's going to be fascinating to kind of watch and see um, where K-State goes from there. But I thought that was uh, interesting to note. Um, Gabe, what was, uh, your, your opinion last night on, I guess the, where K-State can go the rest of this week and next week, there's, you know, possible four games that they can play and does it mean anything if they were to, you know, beat West Virginia and then rip off however many games in Kansas city and have some success there? Well, when they beat Baylor last week, I said, I said, Hey, the, if they win six straight, they're going to be 27 and seven. They'll be tournament champions of the best league in America. And they'll have what? 11, 12 quad one wins. Like that's yeah. a one seed. That's a one seed, especially when Purdue loses at home to Indiana last week. And who knows, maybe Purdue loses to Wisconsin tonight. So it, it wouldn't shock me if the big Ten's not getting a one seed. I think Alec probably is of the opinion that the big 10 doesn't deserve a one seed anymore. Yeah, the only team that would deserve one is Purdue. And, and they've got five or six losses. If Purdue is a six-loss team and K-State's a seven-loss team with a, ch- a conference championship under their belt in the best league in America, three straight wins, probably going down against, I don't know, depending on what they whether they get the two or the three seed, probably some route of Oklahoma State, Texas, slash Baylor, and then Kansas. Like, yeah. if that's the route to a title – Unless something weird happens and it's like Oklahoma State or Texas Tech or something weird, something crazy happening with the bottom of the league and somebody beats Kansas and then you get like a pushover in the title game, a pushover relative to Big 12 standards, like they're getting – they're probably the fourth one seed and and that sends them either to, to what, New York or Vegas? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I don't really think that location matters a ton for – K-State, I mean, Kansas City would help, but you're probably not getting Kansas City because KU is getting Kansas City. Um, I think they are absolutely on the one line if they win out. I think they are probably on the two line, assuming that they win their first game in Kansas City. Um, And, I mean, I'm trying to think of what – unless, like, Tennessee went and won the SEC tournament, then you could maybe sneak the Vols back onto the two line and kick K-State to the – the top three seed, but yeah, I mean, it, it sounded crazy to be like, man, K-State could win out because going to Oklahoma state and going to West Virginia didn't seem like two wins given how K-State has played on the road a bunch this year. But I mean, the pessimist in me wants to say Saturday against West Virginia is a schedule loss. Like it's coming, but the optimist in me and the guy who has seen K-State play like, to a T, the kind of basketball that they need to play to reach their potential as of late, 
Like I know that the NCAA tournament committee has thrown out the, Hey, last 10 games. Like that used to be a metric that they sorted teams by was how have you done in your last 10 games? Um, and that's no longer the case. But like, if you're, if you're ranking teams based on the last three, four weeks of play, K-State's been one of the five or six best teams in the country in that like time frame. So I think they I think they are pretty locked into a two seed with some optimism that hey if people show up in Kansas City if they get some support and then these guys play to their best we were having the debate <laughs> at the table last night like how many teams are they're in the they're in the category of you know this team if they play their best basketball can beat anybody else in the country's good like they're great beats anybody else in the country's good yeah, no, I mean, and I'm looking at it right now. Uh, with the way everything sets up, as long as K-State doesn't have to play Oklahoma in Kansas City, uh, the four remaining games are all going to be quad one opponents. So if K-State wins out, they'll be 13-6 and six in quad one, and then overall they'd be 17-7 and seven in quads one and two. Um, that, would, that would benefit them greatly uh, if they could do that. And I think at that point, like, you're looking at a team like you don't have much of a choice but to, to give them that. And now that you know Texas is out of the mix, based off of how they've probably played, um, that I mean, maybe they could do the same thing, I guess, if they won out and by beating Kansas on Saturday, and then they won three in Kansas City, they could be in the conversation. But I mean, K State's certainly going to to give themselves every opportunity to do that. Before we we dive into anything else, um, are there any other takeaways from last night's game that uh, you guys want to point out or that you you took note of? It could be anything that happened on the floor or it could be Desi Sills being electric after the game, uh, playing to a crowd like nobody else could on that team, except for maybe Jerome Tang. Um, he and Desi Sills are, are two very much energetic guys. Um, I, I mean, I thought, I thought them going into the crowd and doing the, the Wabash with the students was a, was a cool thing and a, a good idea. And it, I think it just kind of goes to show um, Jerome Tang has understood and I think, I mean, I don't think he, he did this intentionally because, it, you know, he came to K-State and there was such a divided fan base and people pissed off about how the Weber stuff went. I think this is just genuinely who he is, but he's kind of the perfect guy to reunite a fan base. And last night was kind of just the crowning of what this entire season had been. Not from, you know, what K-State has done on the floor. That's been great, but there's a lot more, there's a lot more games to be played. Last night, though, was kind of the, the, the crowning and coronation for – what this fan base is back to being and what Jerome Tang created. So I thought, I thought all that after the game uh, was really good by Jerome Tang. And he continues just to, to kind of understand how to, to get a fan base to, to buy in a hundred percent. Real quick. I'd like to go back to what Gabe was talking about, how well Kansas state's been playing since um, February 15th. That's Valentine's day, right? No, Valentine's day is the 14th it's the day after they Valentine's, on Valentine's day. day at Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, so Factoring so since the fifteenth, a day after they lost Oklahoma, um, Kansas State's the eighth best team in the country according to Bartorvik. And obviously they've won every single one of those games um, in that in that stretch, and they've been pretty efficient in doing so. Obviously that's how they're ranking so highly, and they've got some nice wins over Iowa State at that point. Um, a nice commanding double digit win over Baylor. Um, they were able to come from behind against Oklahoma State in the second half, and they were able to win by double digits again against Oklahoma. Um, last night. So they're playing their best basketball. 
of the season right now. And yeah, like I'm going to factor out the way they played early in the season against low level bad teams, but the way that Kansas state is playing right now, I think is better than the way that they played when they started big 12 play four and Cause if you think back to like the way they played against Oklahoma state in Bramlage, like that wasn't the most um, eye pleasing game for a large stretch of it. And I think that you factor in the way they played against West Virginia. They didn't really look great in that game. I think they started down 18 to two um, as we watched that game in New Orleans, Mason for the Sugar Bowl. Um, And then obviously the way they played against Texas and Baylor was ridiculous, but we know that's not really sustainable. And the defense wasn't very good. It was one of those games when you give up 95 and 103 points. So the way that Kansas state is playing of late in their last four games um, should inspire a lot of belief as people start to prepare to fill out their brackets um, come March 12th. There's, I think, one of the uh, most interesting, like, X's and O's discussions that Jerome Tang had last night, and I'm kind of a nerd in this type of thing, is, like, I wanted to hear him discuss this. Because um, I was curious what he thinks makes Marquise so great at pushing the ball ahead in transition and getting guys easy looks. Because the the baseball pass to Naquan was a perfect throw, perfect Perfect pass for and Gabe's anti-baseball pass. I'm anti-baseball pass at end of game situations. That when you just <laughs> need to get the ball in and get a shot up. Okay. <laughs> Let's put that on for the record. But uh, that pass was special. There was one where he lobbed it over the top and it was kind of like a put it in the bucket spot for Gasan. And I don't know if Gasan even made the shot. There was one I think he made and I think one that he missed, but it's, it helps a pretty when it comes to elite teams, K-State's got one of the more average offenses in comparison. Um, but it helps your offense so much when your point guard is constantly searching for the easy buckets like that and is is not like you can say whatever you want about Marquise wanting to take the hero shots and wanting to take the ball, the shots from the power cat logo and all those types of things. And like, yes he loves taking that shot every once in a while. And he loves to get one up at least one, one, uh, one vitamin a game, but he's also so unselfish in the fact that he is looking for any way possible to get the ball ahead and get Desi a layup, get the ball ahead and get Naquan a layup, get the ball ahead and get David a layup. And like when that is successful, it gets David going, it gets Naquan going and it, it makes them so much harder to guard because when a team is so reliant when the team that they're playing against is so focused on hauling their butts back on defense so to make sure that there's someone behind the, the – the, make sure that their furthest defender is closer to the rim than K-State's big man is. And that was the key indicator that Tang was saying is, is what Noel is looking for. When, when they're doing that, first of all, it just, it just makes them guard harder for longer, which – drains your energy and then second of all if it's say it's tanner groves shooting a free throw and then it's naquan is his matchup then it creates a scramble drill where somebody else is guarding naquan which means somebody else inevitably is guarding desi somebody else is inevitably guarding Keontae johnson and that's how you get those back cuts those easy layups and it, it all helps so i think games like last night are are like teach tape it should be the stuff where jerome tang's like guys like naquan just run the floor it's like david run the floor Marquise is going to find you. And that whole thing feeds everything. And I know it's way easier to do that at home than anywhere else in the, in the, in the country. But like, 
even on a neutral site, you should be able to do that. Yeah. I I thought, you know, one of the things that benefits K-State sometimes in these situations, and Naquan's gotten better about u- utilizing it, like he's just such a freak of nature, the way that he's built and what he can do. Because he got a pass down low last night that – like he had a jump and like corral it kind of like, you know, a receiver trying to make a crazy catch and he was able to grab it and still be able to turn around and, and put it in. Like he, they have some guys that can kind of help save some mistakes and still execute by getting a basket off of it. Not just like, okay, we prevented a live ball turnover here, but it can still turn into something that you absolutely want it to turn into with a basket. So I thought that was something that was good from last night. Uh, another takeaway, got to mention this in here. Um, I, I think I said it during the game in Norman um, because Tanner Groves was clearly agitated in that game. But I could, you could start to tell that that dude, he gets a little frustrated at times and it's going to boil over. Uh, and I, I referenced probably then, I said, like, he's got some Brady Manic in him because Brady Manic had uh, quite the moment uh, in Bramlage on a senior day. So I, I wanted to shout out Tanner Groves for becoming the second uh, Oklahoma Sooner in the last four years to get ejected on senior day in Manhattan for throwing an elbow um, after Brady Manick did it in 2019 and, and cried going to the locker room. Um, just I, I, had to, I had to throw that out there, make that known for uh, everybody and, and throw that. Here's, I went and found it. So here's the, here's the Brady Manick uh, play from uh, a couple of years ago. So Mike McGurl just launching a Here three and then elbow straight to Austin Trice's right face. The jaw of Austin um, that's Trice. good stuff right there. And he's starting to freak out. He, you know, oh, reality's setting in. He doesn't like what's going on it. here. You got to get some high fives. Uh, and then here we go. Here is when uh, the, the word has come out that Brady Manning. That's a tough situation for Brady Manning. He's just by distraught. no means do this I just feel he was sad to watch injure a young man having his Oklahoma career stripped away from the way him. This game is um, gone. Yes, I mean but. you elbow the guy in the face. I don't know why you're so upset about it, but you know uh, it happens. And then uh, let's let's That's a hell uh, of a color commentator on the call there. Well, now let's uh, let's dive into this. Uh, Let's go. Let's go take a little, uh, a little, a little peek uh, here, uh, and, and let me find uh, the the next. Okay. For now the record, to... I'd like to say I think the Groves one was a lot worse. It was because here we go. Here's the here's the Tanner Groves play that happened last night down low. Just bust Desi Sills right here. Just ferocious <laughs> swing up top. Down goes Sills. Uh, Tanner goes like, whoa, I did something there? Like, yeah, you just busted a man's face. Desi this Owen. isn't this. I thought this was funny, and I don't mean it to be funny, but Desi walks into the media room last night, and as he walks by me, I hear him mumble as he reaches up to his face. God, my jaw hurts. <laughs> yeah, well, look at this. Look at that. In Boom. The face. By Tanner Groves. And I don't really find like Desi Sills pain funny or a violent play, intentional or not, from Tanner Groves funny. But I thought Desi like coming in and saying that right as he walked past me um, and me being able to hear it was was quite funny. God, my jaw hurts. Like, yeah, dude, like your job's probably going to hurt this morning too, big guy. (laughs) He's, I'd say, most likely, most likely to win a UFC fight. Strongest jaw, Desi Sills. Who knew? I uh, thought he yeah. broke his nose. 
I mean, like when he went down, I think I said like I think he may have just broke his nose. If I'm if I'm Desi, I'm pissed because we discussed last night, ironically, that he has got maybe the best teeth in college basketball. And if Tanner Gross had jacked up his smile, I would that would have <laughs> pissed me off if I was Desi. Like that's the money maker right there. Also, a, a look at G Man five six four. Uh, getting a, a review of what took place there last night. Great work by Jerry Pollard, Darren George, Kip Kissinger last night. Quality had a hair, boys. Except for uh, except for Kip Kissinger uh, when he didn't understand the moment and what was going on. And on Desi's step back three that he drained, he called the push off. Like, come on, get a feel Desi for the was game. Heating up. <laughs> uh, uh, it is you know it is what it is. But I, I wanted to go and compare those because I mean, what are the, what are the odds? that you would just have two number 35s for Oklahoma in a four-year stretch, just whack dudes, you know? Kind of crazy. Uh, real quick, before we get into to more basketball stuff that matters, uh, I want to do a new segment that I call Big 12 Scoreboard. Uh, and this is where I'm going to go around the – we're going to go around the league. We're going to look at scores either took place last night or what's coming up uh, in the Big 12 tonight. So let's start by uh, going west to Spokane where last night future Big 12 uh, foe Gonzaga beat Chicago State 104-65. to Big win for the Zags. They put up 62 points in the second half. Uh, can't wait to see them in the Big 12 in a couple of years. Uh, should be a pretty exciting time. Now we're going to stay out west. Tonight coming up in the Big 12, Arizona State on the road at UCLA. Sun Devils, future Big 12 foe in about three or four years. They are going to be in Pauley Pavilion to take on the Bruins. Must win, the, exposed. must win for the Sun Devils tonight. Uh, also in the uh, Big 12 tonight, late tip, Arizona at USC. That's not uh, a must so, win for Arizona State, by the way. No, got to have it. Got to have it. They're bubble boys right now. We know this. They are in the tournament. Depends on who you ask. I don't know. I knew where this was going as soon as you started this bit. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I thought of this on the way home last night when I was thinking about Gonzaga winning me money, and I was like, "Oh, I mean, winning I just us gotta, money, yeah, us, us money, losing l- losing somebody else on the beat money. Uh, it is what it is." Uh, I know next someone game, who bet on Chicago State last night too. By the way, uh, fun next fact, game, fun fact, fun fact. Uh, I, you guys ignored this text from me last night. You know who's behind Chicago State and Ken Palm? Louisville. Isn't that oh, hilarious? Yeah. Louisville, yeah. It is hilarious. I mean, that that's kind of embarrassing. I don't know where Georgetown ranks. You know who else is behind Chicago State and Ken Palm? Not future Big 12 member Cal. Yes, great point. Uh, Cal is 3-26. and They've got a game against future non-Big 12 member Oregon State this weekend. (laughs) Battle for futility in the Pac-12. But future – oh, we've got a battle of the Big 12 in Boulder on Saturday, 4-30 – on Pac-12 Network, don't worry. We'll get the name change in a couple of years. Uh, Utah, Colorado. You don't so, want that network. That's a bit, No, I don't want that network. But, no, they want to murder that network and just add more to the Big 12 Now brand. <laughs> yes. Uh, Utah, Colorado on Pac-12, future Big 12 Now, ESPN Plus Network, uh, Utah, Colorado. So there you go. Hey, that's that's the Big 12 scoreboard. In the In the words of the great Bobby Hurley, Go ask two SEC teams how tough playing Colorado is. Because Tennessee would tell you, tough, tough game. Tough game. I, w- 
I would uh, turn around. There is, and... toughest, there is not a tougher road trip to make in America. And I mean this 100%. There's not a tougher road trip to make in America than going to Utah and to Cal on or Utah going to Utah and to Colorado. I mean, Cal is a tough Saturday. place to play. People don't give the Cats enough credit for winning that game, the second second game of the season. There is That's not a, game. a tougher road trip to make than going to Utah and to Colorado on a Thursday Saturday swing. Unless you're USC. You know, USC took care of business in Boulder. Yeah, because USC is a tournament team. You know why? Because they got Vince the Prince, baby. Uh, real quick, you made me think of this, talking about Cal. Uh, I'm gonna, I want to give you guys K-State's uh, seven quad four opponents this year, and I want you to tell me who the bottom three are in quad four. So, in the net. Word. In the net. In the Incarnate net. So, word. Okay, well, Alec may just know him off the top of his head. I was going to give you the list of quad four teams to pick from. Incarnate Word is definitely one of them. That was one of the worst college basketball teams I've ever seen. UTRGB would, would be another guess. Uh, they are not in the bottom three. Incarnate Word is the worst team by net that K-State played this year. They are net number 346. It's got to be Radford. Yeah, Radford's in there. No, Radford's in the top 200 of the net. They're what? 182. Yeah. That algorithm is so broken. <laughs> uh, and I pointed this out to you guys last night. Like, Bob, Bob, Bobby Huggins on Saturday being like, I will rip the committee's ass long and hard if, if they leave us out of the tournament. Like, the only reason he's saying that is because his SID got in his ear about, hey, <laughs> this algorithm says we're a top 30 team in the country. Like, no doubt about it. And Bob Huggins, who – probably hates computers, hates the advancement of the internet, all of these types of things, was like, bought it, sold, hook, line, and sinker. I'm in on the net, and that's why he's doing this. So I just find that hilarious. Does uh, UMKC Rad- count as a D1 net opponent? Yeah. I mean, they're a Division One school, yeah. Did you not think UMKC was a Division One school? They might not be, man. <laughs> they did lose to a non-Division One school uh, earlier this year. Yes, Kansas City is in the uh, is in the bottom three of opponents for K State this year. They are the they're like two ninety nine. So there's somebody between two ninety nine and three forty six that K State played uh, that is their second worst net opponent of the season. Abilene Christian. No, Abilene Christian's two o three. Hmm. Can you can you list them Rhode all? Island's freaking terrible under our Rhode team Island is two forty two. It is not Rhode Island. We literally just talked about this team in Big Twelve scoreboard. Cal, it's Cal. Yes. Oh, I thought you gave us that one. No. Oh, okay. But yes, they are three oh four in the net. That's pretty brutal. Yeah, I think K State won that game. That would they be. Suck. That would look so really this, ugly this, this time of year. Is this your roundabout about way of talking about the bubble or talking about Big 12 <laughs> teams getting more? No, I just, I just, I, I started thinking about it uh, when, you know, Cal got brought up and I saw how bad they were. And then I was like, hmm, I wonder, you know, what the, the worst is for K State. And I was surprised by it that, uh, like, I get it. Cal has sucked this year and they've only won like what, three games or something. But man. For a power five school to be that bad is is uh, pretty impressive. Radford surprisingly is uh they are sixteen and thirteen or seventeen and thirteen, I think, uh, and twelve and six in conference play. So they might win the big south. Who knows? Um, we'll see there. 
Uh, a couple of other things, though, that I wanted to talk about Big 12 tournament-wise next week. Um, K-State, as long as they win on Saturday, they are the two seed in Kansas City, which means that they will play the 6 o'clock game in the evening on Thursday against the winner of the 7-10. If Baylor and Texas both lose on Saturday, regardless of what happens, K-State is the two seed. Um, so those are your scenarios for that. And then if anybody ends up in a tie – K-State has the tiebreaker over both Baylor and Texas, so no worries there. The worst K-State can do is slide down to the four, which means that they would play the first game of the day at 11.30. That's really the only scenario that as a K-State fan I think you want to avoid because you're probably going to have to play somebody like TCU. TCU could take a lot out of you in a game like that, and then you would have to turn around if you won and play Kansas in the semifinal. We don't want a K-State KU semifinal. We want it to be the real deal in the championship game on Saturday. So um, that that is what we're looking at for K-State. I mean, the way it sets up right now, I don't think Texas is winning on Saturday. And Baylor is hosting Iowa State. I mean, KU's got nothing to play for now on Saturday. You don't think Texas is winning on Saturday? I don't. I don't. I think I, KU still does. I, think K, I mean, I think KU still wants to make sure that they lock up everything they can top overall seed, yeah. whatever i think i think they're going to show up there and and, and beat texas like okay. what does texas have to play for now a two other than maybe trying to be a two i mean i guess yeah but i, I mean that's it's to me like that's to me that's like the k-state situation where they could they could bust their way into a one seed but it just doesn't seem as feasible to me so you're likely a two or three regardless and now that texas like had the Big 12 chances ripped away from them, like how how down are they for that game? But may, maybe you're right. I just I think Kansas wins that game uh, on Saturday. I mean, they're playing well right now, and they're better than Texas. But the Baylor Baylor will probably beat Iowa State. I mean, Iowa State is is in some t- turmoil right now. They're losing games. Uh, Hilton, which was a tough place to play as recently as early February, they've now lost there to Oklahoma State in West Virginia. So that's not looking great. They go on the road to Waco. Uh, they kicked Caleb Grill off the team yesterday. So they're down like one of their very few often like legitimate offensive weapons they are without. So I think Baylor probably wins. So the Wildcats just got to take care of business against West Virginia. They get that two seed. That puts them in a good spot against two teams at the second time around or the third time around Iowa State or Oklahoma or whoever it ends up being there. I think you feel pretty good about your chances because it could also end up being Oklahoma State, I guess. But that's that's just a look at uh what's going on there um any thoughts on what we may see in kansas city next week and what matchups uh you would most like to see in the first round i don't necessarily care who kansas state plays in the first round i've seen enough of iowa state and oklahoma state's offenses this year that i don't particularly want to see either one of those two teams again talk about eye bleeding offenses those two teams are to watch offensively yeah uh the only game I particularly really want to see them play um, is Texas and KU. Obvious reasons for KU, storyline, um, potential tiebreaker. Um, but for Texas, I still feel like we have a tough gauge on like which one of those two teams is actually better um, when facing off against each other because of the way that those two games have gone. Like K-State played maybe their worst half of basketball um, in Big 12 play against uh, second worst half of basketball, I would say. Um, against Texas in Bramlage, but then they also played like a ridiculous game against Texas at the Moody Center. So I kind of want to see him play those two teams. I don't know about you though. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Like I, I would, 
I, I seeing them play Texas again, I think would be big because the first game was crazy. The second game was really good. I think K State Texas again. I think both teams like that'd be good for both teams to kind of see where they stack up mm-hmm. against each other. Um, so I mean, I'm with, I'm with you. K State Texas is probably. Um, I mean, that won't be a first round matchup, but like that'd be a pretty sweet semifinal. But especially I don't think you like can get a you can't really get the only way to get oh, you're a right. uh, K State Texas semifinal is for K State to win on Saturday, Texas to win on Saturday, and Baylor and to Baylor lose. Baylor to lose. Yeah. So I mean we're probably getting and that's K-State. not happening. All right. Well, there you go. K State Texas Big Twelve Championship game. And K-State I would like to because see... Texas has never won a Big Twelve tournament. Yeah, they have. Oh, they have, I guess. That's right. That, yeah, I they won in COVID. Off. I was, I mean, was right off their COVID though. season. Yeah, I mean, they got the day off before playing Oklahoma State. It was gassed. Uh, My yeah, thing right. is we like – We talked about that a couple weeks ago. You can you can say all you want about Iowa State and Oklahoma State playing like eye-bleeding offense. But, I mean, if the goal is to watch is, – is to see – I mean, I don't know. It depends. I ultimately want to see the fun matchups at the end. I don't really care how we get to the fun matchups. So if K State plays the boring teams in the Big Twelve, which like I would classify Oklahoma State and I would classify Texas Tech as boring basketball teams. Hey, Texas Tech's a tournament team, right, Mason? No, they're not. I never said they were a tournament team. I said that they were on the bubble and that they deserve consideration. I didn't say they were a tournament team. So quit saying that. But like <laughs> so my point is like I don't care who they play in the first round just take care of business. And then yeah. in the second round, I would I would love to see another Scott Drew Jerome Tang matchup. Um cuz guess what? K-State matches up well with Baylor. Like they do. Yeah. They do. And the first one was a little uh, was a little three-point variance and a little unsustainable. The second matchup was like the blueprint on why K-State is just a better basketball team than Baylor this year. And I fully believe they are, even though me too. odds makers in Vegas don't believe so. I think K-State fans who are a little hesitant to like fully dive in and like get vulnerable and believe in this team being a Final Four and national title contender. And I think there's already been a little bit of pushback on that. Like, I think that these people need to realize you're better than Baylor this year. Like Jerome Tang has a little bit of the blueprint. He knows the personnel. Mm-hmm. And he's built a team that matches up well with them. And then we get KU at the end. And I think that would be like, what do you think, Mason? Biggest KU K State matchup since when? Is it twenty? Is it twenty nineteen when K State could win the Big Twelve, or is it twenty thirteen Big Twelve title game? Well, that twenty nineteen one feels really big, just because like, um, I mean, it felt like KU is a little bit more vulnerable, and that like that group for K State had not beaten KU. So that, and that was her last chance to, to really beat them. So that, I mean, that one felt really big. Um, and then obviously like the Cartier Jada dunk made it, you know, even more so, but that 2013 game, like they, they're co-champions of the league and they get to play each other in Kansas city. Unfortunately, like, I'm, I mean, it wasn't, it didn't work out well for K state. Um, but like, and I, I wasn't obviously there um, for it, but like, I can only imagine what that crowd would be like. It, that's why these conference tournaments, if you can just get through that quarterfinal round and p- make sure you play in the semifinals, like that's all really your fans want. And then it's at like at that point, if you make it to the championship, like that's awesome. That's gravy. 
And for it to be K-State KU, like, I think it would be because these teams split in the regular season. And, I mean, obviously the one in Manhattan was huge, but we know what's on the line. If K-State wins the Big 12 tournament, they have a legitimate claim to be a one seed on Saturday or on Selection Sunday. That'd be the first time in school history that they were a one seed. And it would be another game to what you said where, like, this K-State team is legitimately good enough to be one of the, you know, 10 to 15 that can actually win a national title this year. Maybe there's a few more than that. Um, But they would yet again have beaten one of the top teams in college basketball. And this time they would have done it away from Bramlage. They would have done it on a neutral floor where it's a 50-50 crowd that would be there on Saturday night. So, I mean, I think it would be really telling and and it, it would be a big deal. So, I mean, those regular season ones mean a lot and the way they played out were pretty, pretty sweet, but yeah, I think it'd be it'd be monstrous to to get that, and it would be a huge game. So, I, I mean, I hope we get it. I've said it for however long. Like to, that environment in the T-Mobile Center would be amazing if the entire weekend K State and KU are winning and building up to a Saturday rematch. Like at that point, yes, you know the the K State in me, like I would walk out of there pretty pissed off if K State lost to KU again, and. But at the end of the day, like I can respect and be excited that like that environment. I just want to be a part of that environment and see which which like. half of that arena is louder. Like I imagine that gets split pretty 50-50. One side's purple, one side's blue. Like which half yeah. of that arena is louder? It's. I mean, it would probably be pretty even. Like it I feel like I personally like I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot more animosity from the K State side to KU than there is KU to K State um, for whatever reason. So I feel like the K-State side might actually be a little bit more enthralled with that matchup. That's that's just what the Jayhawk propaganda machine wants you to believe, Alec, that they don't care as much about it. Yet, for some reason, they they didn't have enough seats for all their students for the game in Allen. They made them go watch it in the volleyball arena. And I don't know. That was the, Is that not know, like an every game thing there? I thought it was. It's almost like no. it was a top 10 matchup. Yeah, I don't know. It's not an every every time thing there. Uh, oh, I that one. people there were there was some there were some very pissed off students about being shuffled into the volleyball arena and what their compensation was for not being able to have a seat. Uh, but like that, that would be that awesome. I say show I, up earlier. Yes, yeah. I mean that's a great point. There are systems in place for you to be there. You know, get a good be seat. A part whatever. of one of their camping groups. Yes. Uh, other other notes on the Big Twelve tournament that does not pertain to anything happening on the floor. The Big Twelve. I mean, Brett Yormark, he wants this thing to be younger, hipper, and cooler, whatever. Here are some highlights of the Big 12 tournament this year for anybody that hasn't uh, figured it out. Grammy-nominated hip-hop legend Fat Joe will perform on Friday night of Championship Week. DJ Diesel, you may know him better as Shaquille O'Neal, is going to perform a DJ set on Saturday night at the Big 12 tournament. Uh, So, I mean, KU fans are going to get Shaq twice this year. Twice in one year. (laughs) It's crazy. Uh, Jordan Sparks is going to perform the national anthem and uh, the big 12 uh, extended their collaboration with this clothing brand called the bathing ape. I don't understand it. It was the reason why there was an ugly camouflage big 12 logo uh, on the field during the big 12 championship game for football this year. I don't get it, but I'm not cool or hip. I am still kind of young, but I don't fit the cool and hip category. Here's what I'm excited about though. For those uh, that know about my uh, my stadium food reviews that uh, took the world by storm uh, back when I was uh, on the game on KMAN and have continued, we have 
10 school-inspired dishes that are going to be served at the T-Mobile Center this year. A foodie-focused menu of items that will satisfy the palate of fans from every team. Uh, this is Here's what we've got. The Baylor Float, which is vanilla ice cream and Dr. Pepper. So pretty standard, but, you know, Dr. Pepper's from down there. You know, vanilla float, whatever. That, that, what, that works out. Cyclone's Tenderloin. You get a Kaiser bun, breaded pork tenderloin, sliced onion, sweet and spicy pickles. Jayhawk's mac and cheese. Pasta and creamy white cheese sauce topped with house-smoked pulled pork. Uh, Levy's signature barbecue sauce and crispy fried onions. That oh, sounds no, very like, good. You like that the buffalo insane. mac and cheese. Yeah, I like, yeah, well, they, yeah well, they served us an Allen, and that was good. Yeah, uh, you never had buffalo mac and cheese before. I was mind-blown that you No, had I had, but it was oh. just very good. And I hadn't, you know, rarely do you get served something you really enjoy in those media meals. Uh, the K-State's Wabash Cannon Dog. Bacon wrapped jumbo hot dog topped with wildcat purple relish. Here's the thing. I'm not sure I'm excited about the purple relish. I, yeah, I'm interested on that, but we'll see what happens. Uh, it also has tomato, beans, onions, and chili. Pistol Pete's OSU fried corn. Um, a bacon fried corn topped with crushed Doritos. TCU loaded tots, tater tots, spicy queso, chopped house smoked brisket, pico de gallo. Uh, topped with horn frog good. purple sour cream. That one I'm in on uh, on the TCU loaded tots. The Longhorn quesadilla, triple cheese quesadilla, steak or chicken with burnt orange salsa rojo sauce. Sounds the, good. The Tex Max Mast Rider Burger, uh, all beef patty, cheddar, fried onion ring, sweet pickled jalapenos, and Red Raiders barbecue sauce. And then the West Virginia Mountaineer roll, sliced pepperoni and mozzarella cheese, and a soft roll. So. There you go. That is uh, the Big 12 Eats that are coming to the Big 12 tournament this year. So I can guarantee you that uh, probably on that Thursday, I'm going to have to come with a lot of money because, you know, the concessions are not cheap. But out of good faith to to the, the food reviews that I've done, I, I am going to have to load up on them at the Big 12 tournament. So maybe for each game of the, the Big 12 tournament on Thursday, I eat a dish from one of the schools participating in that game. Uh, to make sure that I that's I a lot of money over basis over there. Fans. I know yeah, that's like I know 150 200 bucks worth of that's I can probably get it written off though for tax purposes you know work expense so well that's fair or just you know like or when we're leaving when the three of us are leaving T-Mobile Arena to go watch games in the other T-Mobile Arena out west you can well, put all of your gambling winnings towards your there you big go. 12 food reviews Mason, I would, like finance to, it. I would like to go through all of the teams that have better title odds than K-State and point out yeah. why certain teams, despite having better odds, aren't better title bets than K-State. No, let's do it. Let's, I mean, because we were, I mean, we talked about that. You, I mean, I think the one, Baylor probably has better title odds right now than K-State, right? I would Correct. assume. So, Correct. and that's one of those that you've already established, like K-State, K-State is better than Baylor this year. Well, okay. So here's here's a simple thing. Because I put this together a couple years ago, wondering what, like, it was, a, it was a thing that we did on our college basketball radio show in college. And it was, what criteria do certain teams need to win the national title? So I'm just going to go down the teams in Ken Palm and compare them to DraftKings as the sports book of my choosing. 
DraftKings is the one that believes in K-State the most. They've got K-State plus 3,000. Someone on the board pointed out that FanDuel has them at plus 6,500. I truly yeah. am baffled that two sports books are that far uh, opposite of each other. So I guess if you believe in the Cats, take your here's, business to FanDuel. Here's what blows me away about this right now. So I'm looking at the, the FanDuel odds. TCU's plus 3,000. What is there to like about TCU that much more than K State? I, I you well, couldn't you couldn't tell me. I mean, well, TCU shoots for one. But here's the thing, Mike Miles. I understand the whole Mike Miles thing, and I think he could carry them to a couple wins. But TCU and Tennessee fail one of the clear criteria that that is every national champion since they've implemented the three point line has shot better than thirty two point nine percent from three. TCU's in 29%, so that's way yeah. below. Given given the amount of volume, like it would take an insane shooting stretch over the next three weeks yeah. of play for them to be better than a 33% three-point shooting team. Tennessee is also below that mark. So Tennessee, even though they are plus 2,500 on DraftKings, that's ahead of K-State, is not good enough to win the national title with that. They also are just a worse offensive team and aren't even close efficiency-wise, to the mark of every national champion since the Ken Palm era existed, so 2002, so we've got two decades' worth of evidence. Uh, nobody has finished worse than 22nd in offensive efficiency. I know that – well, except for UConn, who was 39. So I think that K-State falls in that, like, the defense is great enough, the offense – could play well enough to move them up into the tier of they would be one of the worst offensive efficiency teams ever to win it. But anyways, we can keep going down the list. Uh, I'm not going to push back on Houston, Kansas, or UCLA. I think that those three are in a, a tier of their own. Bama, I just think the off-court stuff, like I can't imagine that they win the title with that. If they do, I feel bad for the sport. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean <laughs> – like that team, they, uh, they, they've been able to put a lot behind them. Uh, and like, they, I guess emotionally are not phased by anything because even though they struggle against South Carolina, they won the game. They got down 17 at home against Auburn last night. Guys got ejected from the game and they still won. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, Nate Oates has built a, a team down there that they just may not care about anything but basketball, which is great for teams that want to win basketball games. My only concern with Alabama has always been like you talk about, like the heater that TCU or Tennessee would have to go on shooting the basketball to win six games in a row in the NCAA tournament against really good teams. That's how Alabama wants to play every single game. And so the likelihood of even a team that's really good at that, like that's just always struck me as I love Alabama. I love the way Alabama plays basketball. I don't love anything else about Alabama right now, but I love the way they play basketball. And even though I love that, I can even admit as a guy that just, Three pointers, they they send me berserk with how much I love them. Bama's Bama can't string together six games like that. Like they're just gonna they're bound to have a bad shooting night or a team that can do a lot of other things well to beat them. So I I I mean Bama can legitimately win it, but they are very much lower on the list than what some would believe. Yeah, Purdue is plus twelve hundred, so they are the fifth most likely team according to Vegas to win the title. They play and rely on two freshman guards. For more than that have been figured years. out. Pressure their guards and post trap ED and push them away from the rim, and they're not the most difficult team in the world. So 
Alec, you make a great point. There's matchup, there's matchup specific things you can do to Purdue to slow them down. There's also just the historical precedent that I think the only team that has ever won the national title while relying on more than 70% of their minutes from a freshman backcourt is the Anthony Davis national title team. And I like Zach Eady. I think he's a really solid player. He's not what Anthony Davis was. I think he's tall, okay? but he's the most dominant player in college basketball over the last 20 years. You think so? Yeah. Okay. There's not okay. a bigger matchup. There's not a bigger is, matchup. Here's what I would there's say. No, is there, there no team in the country who feels good about having to play Zach Eady? Regardless is there a of what difference between about being able to push dominant, him away from the rim and post trap and all those different things. There's not one team in the country, regardless of how many bigs they have, their personnel that plays against Purdue is like, okay, like we can we can handle Zach Eady. No one feels that way. Is and there like, a difference no between dominant and unstoppable, that. though? Because I feel like Zach Eady's un- unstoppable, but like dominant feels like it goes a stretch too far. Because to me, if Zach Eady was dominant, then they wouldn't have lost Indiana twice. Like he, yeah, he is Indiana unstoppable. Also, but He's going to get his. But Indiana has, in my opinion, in, I think Trace Jackson Davis is the best player in the country. I think I think Trace Jackson Davis is more dominant than Eady. I think Edie is more unstoppable. We have different Jackson Davis. Unstoppable and dominant are the same thing. I don't think so. I think I, I, I have, there's a different connotation and tone that goes to dominant and Zach Edie just, I don't get that vibe there. I mean, he's unstoppable and he's a pest. Like if you had a plane, like I, you're screwed because I don't know what you're doing. I mean, probably just have Naquan Tomlin. If K-State played Purdue, just act like he was on a pogo stick the entire time. Just jump up and down. And try and like hope you catch a piece of the ball every once in a while. It'd be uh, like one of those. Foul. You could that that Naquan just jump up and down and just like up down up down. It would be like the carnival games where it's like, can you get the ball through the? <laughs> it should, well, he, he should go back and forth like this, you know, like he's just swatting away. You give him a, a tough window. Yeah, right, we to, can, we can move on. Continue to add to the ED dominance thing. Zakiri's eyes are like at the height of Naquan's arms when he does that. That's fine. Well, that's helps. fine. They can't. They won't be able to get the ball to him because Desi Sills will be locking up lawyer and true. and, and true. Smith. It, it's about it's about slowing down their guards is the biggest thing to stop being Purdue. Yeah. Another thing that is just a, a simple you can't win the title. Like I would even say, okay, UConn. I will say has a better chance than K State. I'll give that up. They're plus mm-hmm. sixteen hundred. But then you get to Arizona at plus sixteen hundred. You get to Baylor at plus eighteen hundred. You get to Gonzaga at plus twenty five hundred. And then we'll get to a slew of teams, Creighton and Marquette, who are both the exact same odds as K-State. Same thing with TCU. We've already pointed out why TCU can't. But Creighton, uh, Arizona, Baylor, and Gonzaga. No national champions in the Ken Palm era, so the last 20 years, has been worse than 22nd in adjusted defensive efficiency. So even if you played, and I was the most optimistic person in the world, and – Baylor played lockdown defense for the next three weeks. They are not even sniffing a top 22 defensive efficiency mark. They're 80, they're 86th in adjusted defense in Ken Palm. Gonzaga's 89th. Uh, Arizona's 57th. So to make a 30 spot jump would seem almost impossible. And then Marquette is 63rd. 
So I'm just Xing all of those teams off the radar based on the fact that I don't think that they can play elite defense or competent defense to win six straight games in March. So that's just a short little exercise on why, even though K-State has the 11th best odds or is tied for the 11th best odds, I think that they have better chances than five or six of the teams that have better odds than them just based on profile historical precedent and then also roster and personnel like i who's a better candidate to be Kemba Walker in March or Marquis or Shabazz Napier in March than Marquis Noel like yeah he can be that dude yeah no you're you're absolutely right and um i, I mean i think it's i think it's cr- what's tough about it and for anybody that pushes back at like from the K-State side i think it's probably just more of like the shock and lack of um, like confidence in like this is a real thing that is happening right now because I mean it all happens so fast like the last three years were putrid they were miserable for anybody associated with K-State and so then you immediately like okay winning that's fun that's great but then everything else that has come with winning in Big 12 play has been like oh really like this is happening this happened like K-State is probably going to finish second in the league like that's that is insane the way that it played out and all these things do stack up in their favor to where it looks good. So, I, I mean, I, I I mean, I don't think K State wins the national title, but they are definitely going to be one of the teams that could put together one of those runs that rips through everything um, and, and can do some great things. And like we've talked about, if they get the right matchup, then they're in in good shape. And I think like something that we we maybe don't consider is. Obviously, there's going to be 30 games worth of tape for these teams to look at, so they'll be prepared in some way. But it's going to be still different for them facing Marquise Noel for the first time, Keontae Johnson for the first time, whereas K-State is now playing all of these teams that have already played these dudes, and that's why Texas was better the second time around against K-State. It's why Kansas was better the second time around. It's why all this stuff – and. Honestly, like, it's why Oklahoma was able to win the first game. OU sat around long enough, and they've watched all these other teams play, getting ready for them, and undoubtedly they probably saw K-State mix in there. And so they started to get a better idea. Like, the best shot of anybody that played K-State a first time this year was Oklahoma, and it's because they were the team to play them the latest in that process. So I think it's going to be big when we get into it and see – you know, whoever that second round and then sweet 16 matchup could be theoretically for K-State, because that's going to be the first time that they have to try and take on, you know, Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson together. And figuring that out, I think, is going to be a lot tougher because as we've seen, like, OU had a pretty good plan in place. Um, Oklahoma State didn't because Mike Boynton just zero adjustments there. He said, we're going to defend Marquise basically the same way we did the first time. Didn't work out. Scott Drew, you know, that's the other thing. Like, we know that their defense is not good this year because he basically came in after the game against KC the second time and was like, yeah, we can't play defense on Marquise Noel. Like whatever. Like, I think he's just given up on his defense. So I mean, that's, that's the other thing to consider in all this is K state has been playing 18 straight games. Now they're about to play 21 straight games against teams that have seen them multiple times and have devoted everything to beating them. Um, as, like if K state, they can be pretty successful and like a round of 32 game when, you know, you're, you're turning around, short turnaround. Now, I guess K-State's going to be a high enough seed to where if you're going into that, you probably have a lot more Kansas State stuff ready to go than, you know, Mount St. Mary's or whoever, you know, the 15 or 14 would be. 
Um, but certainly if they get to the second weekend, like get through that sweet 16 game and then that elite eight, like K-State's a tough team to play on a short turnaround um, with the way they want to play. Like as long as K-State themselves isn't tired, they're going to get out and run with you. And then if you have very little time to fully prepare for Marquise Noel, like say K-State plays, I don't know, say K-State plays Marquette in the Sweet 16 or something. I, I don't know if that can actually happen because they're both going to be two seeds probably or whatever. But, like, that's the kind of matchup you get. And so you're the team waiting. You're like Purdue or UCLA, and you're having to wait between K-State and Marquette. Like, there's a lot that goes into that, and, and we'll see. So um, there are signs that indicate that K-State could, could rip off a run here. I would also say K-State, the way they play, they are also very susceptible and could be the first, you know, top two seed to get knocked out of the tournament this year. Like, depending on who they play in a second round or something, like, it wouldn't be uncharacteristic for them to shoot 28% from three, turn the ball over a ton, and then, you know, whoever the upstart 10 seed is this year is moving on to the Sweet 16. Like, all that can happen. But I would rather go to the NCAA tournament with a much higher ceiling and a very low floor than some of the K-State teams of the past that have gone to the NCAA tournament. And there's not a lot of room one way or the other. Like, it's a pretty high floor. Like, okay, this team's going to be able to possibly be a second weekend team, but they don't seem to be ready enough to go on and beat whoever in the six, Sweet 16 and Elite Eight to get to a Final Four. This K-State team has the full variance available for them. And in the NCAA tournament where it's six random outcomes, like, that's what you would rather have. Unless you're one of those sure things where you have, you know, a Zach Eady inside, like you feel pretty good about that. I think the biggest reason to be skeptical of Kansas State's ability to make a run to the second weekend or the Elite Eight or Final Four uh, is just their lack of tournament experience. I mean, who on this team has played meaningful minutes in an NCAA tournament? I think only Keontae Johnson has, and I would have to double check that. Uh, uh, I think I've did. Desi played on an Arkansas team in the bubble, I think, that lost to, to uh, Baylor in the Elite Eight, I believe, during the COVID uh, season. Let's see here. So, um, the well, okay. just in general, like this isn't a roster that's stacked with yeah. um, a whole bunch of NCAA tournament talent, right? So, you put yeah, all I mean, Desi, things- Desi over two incident, uh, uh, Oh, yeah, Desi played a combined 59 minutes against Oral Roberts in the Sweet 16 and Baylor yeah. in the Elite Eight. So, he – I mean, he has played. Uh, in that, but you're right. Like, there's not – he is a winner, except for when they lost to Baylor. Uh, and this isn't like there, a fair – there's a lot more available there. This isn't like a fair comparison because, like, last year this was – Arizona was the number one overall seed um, entering the NCAA tournament. But a lot of people who tried to poke holes on why Arizona maybe couldn't make a run was – first year head coach had never been in that situation or roster that didn't have very much NCAA tournament experience. You know, there's a lot of parallels um, in that idea to this Kansas state team, that Arizona team. Now I think that that Arizona team was probably better than this Arizona team or that Arizona team was better than this Kansas state team. Um, We saw that Arizona team nearly lose in the round of 32, probably should have lost to TCU in the big picture of things. Um, But then they get bounced in the sweet 16, I believe it was. So, um, you know, there's there's certain things to be concerned about um, from that perspective, but quite frankly, like I also think a lot of that is overrated. Like I think it's overstated I, I, at the end of the day, and I don't really have a reason for thinking that. I just think that 
a lot of times we rely a lot on some of that stuff. And I don't think it maybe matters as much as people think it does. My counterpoint to that would be Jerome Tang was just on a team that won the national championship two years ago. Yeah, but yeah, but Tommy Lloyd coached two Final Four teams. I know, I know, but and that's why I'm like, and I was one of those people as as an ASU guy who was like banging the table on like, hey, nobody's ever won the tournament the year after they missed the tournament, which would be the which would be the biggest thing that you say about why K State can't do it. Like that is the that is the only historical precedent that they would be breaking. Um, but like, we've, we've seen it with, like, it's not like Baylor had experience, uh, in the NCAA tournament having success. Uh, they didn't play the year before with, with, the uh, COVID it just ending the season. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think that they've got a pretty decent chance and for everybody be like being like, they need to be lucky. Everybody needs to be lucky. Kansas was a one seed last year and they got Miami who was a 10. They got North Carolina who was an eight, like, when you win the national I mean, title in college North Carolina was an eight seed last year, and they got to play a one seed in the second round that had three and a half healthy players, and they got to play a 15 seed in the Elite Eight. Yeah. That's, so. um, it's, it's Hey, it's nice work if you can get it. Uh, other, I mean, some other guys that, like, this is, like, fi- like fixated with K-State, and, and you can kind of, like, get from this. Like, even though you haven't made the tournament the year before, like, there have been teams that we've seen make these deep runs. For example, like uh, like Frank Martin when he went to South Carolina, they only went to one NCAA tournament when Frank Martin was at South Carolina, and they went to the Final Four. And that was one of those situations where things just kind of broke their way, the way that they wanted them to. Um, so, I mean, that's beneficial. And the year that K-State went to the Elite Eight in 2010 and you know battled with Butler to the end, that, that team missed the tournament the year prior as well. Um, now, that team, like, I don't know that that team's better than this team this year. Um, just because like they had a bunch of like more consistent scores and dudes that just like were, were like, that was a well-built team. And this, this is a well-built built team for K-State, but I also think some of what this K-State team is playing off of is just like, I mean, just kind of going off of the vibes. Like they're just, you know, Hey, we're out here, whatever. Um, so I, it can happen. It, it's just a matter of, K-State's also going to need some things to break their way. Like, I don't know that this K-State team is is one that can get to the Final Four based off of a traditional path to where if they're a two seed and they go to the Sweet 16 and they play a three and then they have to play a one in the Elite Eight, like, they're going to need to be in, in the wacky bracket. And ultimately, as some are projecting them being in with Alabama, they could be in the wacky bracket because Alabama, like I said earlier, as much as I love the way they play basketball, that style of play lends them to being the 16 that gets beat by an eight or a nine that shows up or in the sweet 16 prior. Um, similar to what I believe Butler did to Syracuse in the, in the 2010 tournament where K-State got Butler uh, in the Elite Eight. So well, we'll, and we'll I know see. we say this every single year about oh, this, is, this bracket's just going to get blown up or this region's going to get blown up or what have you, but like, I really feel like this year that can actually happen on a bigger stage. Like, I think that there's a potential that there's a team that no one is even thinking about could make it to the final four, because I just don't think the gap between the the two and the three seeds is as big between the eight, nine, 10 seeds as it has been in the past. Like, 
And I think we've started to see some clear separation here of late in the last couple of weeks of teams kind of establishing themselves near the top of the pecking order, whether that's in Alabama, Houston, Kansas, um, UCLA, I think is in that group. But there's also teams that have really started to falter. I mean, like Tennessee was believed to be in that group. They're falling. Virginia um, was perceived to be in that group. They're falling. Arizona, um, a lot of people really like. I don't really love this Arizona team in the tournament. They, they, they don't stack up well. Um, so all those things considered, like, I, yeah, like I, I think I think this stuff's going to get blown up more than it normally would this year. I love hearing uh, that. Updated, this is, this is very recent from uh, Jerry Palm, who, okay, Joe Lenardi officially, you know, I get it. He gets the pub. He's on ESPN, whatever. He's done. Like, we know that, like, his accuracy has not been there with some over the past years. You you got less than two weeks until Selection Sunday, Joe. Maybe start putting out a bracket every single day. You're not. It's like every two or three days still. Jerry Palm is the man just working it, though. Every day he's updating. Uh, he now has K-State, still as a two, playing UNC Asheville in the first round. Uh, and, and Kenny George or whatever the big 7-7 guy that was there a decade ago. He's, st- he's not playing anymore. But Creighton and Memphis is the 7-10 matchup. That would suck. And I would not like that. That that's would suck. The, that's exactly what I'm talking about where this team, like the floor is pretty low where it's they could beat an inferior first-round team, but they could definitely lose the 7-10 that they played. And Creighton and M- Memphis, like those are the two. Memphis doesn't scare me as much this year. As in, as like last year's team, because there's less talent on this year's, and really, like if you stop Kendrick Davis, like you're good for the most part. Maybe he's really averaging like 21 a game. That'd be an awesome um, matchup in backcourt. I actually, Memphis might be one if we dug into it more. Memphis might actually be a good matchup for K State because they may want to push it a little bit more, or whatever else. But Creighton, you don't want to see if you're K State because they've got a lot of the stuff that K State would struggle with. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what we're looking at right now. Still in the South region with Alabama. Um, Miami's a five seed there. Duke is a six. Arizona's a three. Xavier's the four. I mean, that, that would be a a pretty wild bracket. Like that'd be a lot of fun. That one, as opposed to like Houston is thrust in with Houston, Texas, Tennessee, and Indiana. Yeah. That's kind of, it's kind of boring. I don't really, I don't, I don't expect, I mean, three of those teams, I think suck kind of. Texas, Tennessee, and Indiana. I actually think Texas is good. I just had to say that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll have to see how it plays out, but that's that's where things look right now. Um, I guess uh, if you guys have any other thoughts, you can throw them in, and then we can get out of here. Jerry Palm's an idiot. He has Michigan in the bracket and Wisconsin in the bracket. <laughs> okay. But Michigan's going to be in the bracket after tonight's game, so – Maybe he's just projecting. He has ASU behind Oklahoma State, Penn State, and North Carolina. Yeah, that's not. That's that not is right. absurd. Here's what's. How can act how can like, Wisconsin like be ASU sixteen and twelve already? Like they are a Big Twelve. There team. you go. Going to be there in two years. Yep. There you go. I don't know how Wisconsin at sixteen and twelve and seventy five in the net is is still in this tournament. They have a ton of Q one wins. Uh, well, I guess you know. How many how many losses outside of Q1 do they have? I guess probably not that many. They probably get a lot of Q1 games, but the 16 and 12, like this they isn't the Big 12 we're like talking the second, about. They would be the second lowest ranked net team if they were to get in. Uh, Wisconsin is six and eight in the Q1. Um, you asked for what losses outside of the Q2? Outside Q1 of the Q1, Q1. so four, four. They've lost four non-Q1, and then what, they have one quad they three lost- loss? 
Yeah, so they have five Q2, Q3, yeah. Q4 losses combined. Okay. Well, all right. Well, that that's and they have the win over Marquette, which is carrying a lot of weight for them. Yeah. Big night. See, big night ahead of us. That is a big night ahead of us. Uh again, if you missed Big 12 scoreboard earlier, which I don't know how you would. This isn't radio, this is a podcast. So if you made it this far, you probably caught Big 12 scoreboard. Uh, but it is a big night in the future Big 12 this evening. So Everybody just get fired up. Uh, we've got Arizona State at UCLA, 8 o'clock ESPN. Gabe Sun Devils, we're trying to will them into the tournament. Uh, and then uh, future Big 12 opponent, also Arizona at USC this evening. And uh, in legitimate future Big 12 uh, opponents, number one Houston plays Wichita State at 6 o'clock tonight uh, down at the Fertitta Center in Houston. So, Go We're shockers. all on the Cougs. We're all in agreement here. Like, come on, do it, Houston. Put this bad Wichita State team out of their misery uh, and and move on with life because, ugh. I mean, Wichita State's On a very real note, on a very real note, this weekend is exactly why Arizona and Arizona State, specifically Arizona as a basketball school, like, I don't want to get into the super large – Pac-12 discussion, we can have that in the offseason when there's nothing else to talk about and then we're not talking about a top 10 Kansas State basketball team. But this weekend being like the only weekend that anyone in the country who lives in the Eastern time zone thinks can do anything for Arizona and Arizona State's resume, that and then USC and UCLA leaving for the Big Ten, that is the best selling point for Brett Yormark to be like, hey, guys, come on over here. Because Arizona cares enough about basketball that once their alumni, their fan base, their donor base realizes that their season tickets are going to be filled with Oregon State, Cal, Wazoo, all of those types of things. And then you have this, you're holding this little carrot out there that's like, hey, we could get Kansas in here every year. We could get Houston in here every year. We could get Baylor and like those teams in here every year. That's the best argument to tear apart the Pac-12 is make Arizona fans realize how crappy their home basketball schedule is. It's the same thing that happened in Texas football. So if you want to rip the Pac-12 apart, of all the four corner schools, I'm telling you this as an alum of one of the four corner schools, go to the one that cares the most about basketball and just keep dangling that big 12 hoops carrot right in front of their face. Because in the realignment discussion, I know it's all football based. This is one of the few that basketball might matter a little bit because it will rile up Arizona fans that all they're going to get is Mark Fox and was in Washington. And Stanford has talent game. Stanford, whatever, Jared Haas. Yeah. So Land that's, Kansas that's, guy. That's my Pac 12. Uh, that's my Pac 12 could be torn apart take of the day. All right. That's where you need to focus your efforts, people. Stop worrying about stupid Utah message boards and stop worrying about Deion Sanders in Colorado. Like Colorado, they're a Big 12 school. They'll they'll come home whenever <laughs> they need to. But Center your focuses on Tucson, Arizona. It hurts me to say that, but that is the move. That is the move if we want to strengthen the Big 12. And I'm good with it. I would love for Arizona State to be in the Big 12. It would make my life a lot easier as a, as a viewer. So 
Very true. Uh, that's great selling point. It's a great place to end. Just think of where Arizona could sell tickets if you got Kansas, Houston, Baylor, and Gonzaga on the ticket. You know, like there's a lot going into there's a lot going into it there. So uh, uh, I guess if Brett Yormark's doing his job right, instead of being in Kansas City next weekend, he's in Las Vegas and he's checking out the Pac-12 and he's like, "Hey, here you go, guys. Let's get this figured out right here, right now." Um, so we'll see. Yeah, the the realignment stuff. I know Alec loves it. Um, he thought he was going to say something hurtful on Monday that he then actually told me what he was going to say. And then I feel like I had a legitimate argument to push back on it. So I, I, what he said probably wouldn't have hurt too many people's feelings. It would have just been the way he said it. So he's in the I'll clear stick up for the PAC 12 on another day, but I will just say next week in Vegas, if the final four is USC, UCLA, ASU, Arizona, could be a could be an early look at the future Big Twelve Big Ten challenge. Yes, great point, very good point. All right, that'll do it for Alec, Gabe, and I, and uh, we'll be back with uh, a little bit more after K State wraps things up uh, over the weekend with West Virginia. Um, we, we didn't cover West Virginia a ton preview wise, but the pick and preview will be out tomorrow from Alec, so you'll get it there. Uh, I mean, you've seen West Virginia play at this point. If you're a Big 12 fan, you kind of know what it is. If Eric Stevenson scores 30 points, they're probably winning the game. But he also could go 0 for 17, and they're going to lose. And they'll be in foul trouble. All this crazy stuff will happen. Bob Huggins will be kind of pissed off, and his team will be sitting there two games above 500. He's like, if we're not in the tournament, I, I might throw somebody. So there you go. That's what we have going for you. Go check out EMA online over at Rivals. And uh, if you're not signed up, get signed up today. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and YouTube feed as well to make sure that even if you can't access the embedded links on the site, then you guarantee that when something goes up, you know it's there and you can find it directly from the source. So we're out of here. We'll talk to you uh, at the start of next week, preview the Big 12 tournament, recap the regular season for the Cats and a lot of other good stuff. And then the the best week of the year, conference tournament time. There's no place I like to be more in March than the T-Mobile Center outside of Kauffman Stadium on opening day. That's, you know, that's still number one for me, but I'll I'll trade off a, a lot of good basketball for that. So we're out of here. We'll talk to you next week.